Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad back at it with you, joined by Mike Nislik, Andrew Gillis. If you haven't signed up already, and if you haven't, please make sure you sign up. Cincinnati Football Insider, 14-day free trial. Does not get better than that. Cut through the annoying, and I really mean sometimes it can be annoying, clutter of social media. Get the best updates and insights from your favorite Bengals reporters. You will not be charged until the end of the trial. It's $4.99 a month. Go to cleveland.com slash Bengals. Sign up by clicking on the blue banner at the top of the page or just send a text to area code 513-949-4147. And gentlemen, we're almost ready for game day. I think we are ready for game day. I think the Bengals are ready for game day. We're almost at game day. And I tell you what, Joe Burrow is ready because as we've talked about, and I want to keep bringing this up, he said, we know who we are, and I think they know who they thought they were, guys. <laughs> I had to bring that out. They know who they thought they were. They know who they are. But if you really break down that statement, who are the Bengals? What are the Bengals? Not to get super philosophical like Socrates, but who is the Bengals' offense? Yeah, I think it's an offense that operated in or that needs to operate kind of in the same way that that we saw on on Sunday, um, you know, they they threw the ball with kind of with a purpose. Uh, they threw the ball to uh, to the receivers underneath. It seemed like they weren't really forcing deep plays. They weren't really forcing you know things down the field. They weren't really trying to. They, they weren't just waiting for good things to happen. And I think that that's kind of what they need to do. They ran exclusively out of the gun or almost exclusively. Um, you know, they had a lot of RPOs that worked. Uh, which is a brand new wrinkle from them that we saw. So, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, to me, that's kind of the way that that offense needs to look, both in tempo um, and just in a lot of in, in a lot of different ways. I think that you kind of got a glimpse at what I think this offense could and should look like for the rest of the year. I, I, I don't think that they think that way. I think that they're sort of, I mean, especially Zach Taylor, sort of bemused by the focus on. Uh, the game to game looks. I think the key word he used and he went back to on Monday a bunch was uh, evolve that, that you've seen the numbers. I think offensive numbers are kind of down this year and that 
Uh, part of that, I think, is that teams are having to adjust so much week to week. And I think what the Bengals are going to have to do is that, or what the coaching staff thinks they're going to have to do is look different and, and be ready to do different things every week, whether the, if it's RPOs, whether it is play action, whether it is operating out of the gun or under center. Um, you know, obviously they were effective and that gives them the blueprint to go back to, but I think they're going to look different each week. And I think this, this week, um, uh, you know, I think things could look different against a team that's really struggled in the secondary. I think you could see them, uh, push the ball more downfield, um, as opposed to taking those underneath things. Maybe you see RPOs early just to set that stuff up. Uh, and then they let loose. I mean, I think you're going to have some really favorable coverage matchups. Um, and you know, that, that could change things. And, and, and that's where I think that he was talking about. I think he, uh, I think Zach Taylor feels, uh, right now in the NFL that you have to be sort of, um, you know, multiples obviously always been a buzzword for defenses, but I think it's becoming more so for offenses where, um, you're changing week to week because you're just trying to take advantage of what you can against, um, these different, uh, you know, defenses. No, absolutely. And I'm so glad you mentioned the RPOs. Like RPO is becoming like my favorite initials now. And I think it's becoming the Bengals' favorite initials because, I mean, we really saw that come to fruition against the Saints. Like Tyler Boyd, for example. I know we talked a lot about Jamar Chase, but I mean, he benefited from a lot of those RPOs. He kind of saw those intermediate routes where I think he thrives, especially on those those third and shorts. And that really got those big first downs for the Bengals. And, you know, I really think that those third and shorts, like that, that right there is elite. Like when you're someone like Joe Burrow and your best third down conversions come on third and three, which we know is obviously a more favorable situation than your third and eights and your third and longs, because then at that point, you know, the defense drives more in those situations, but no, when those third and shorts and third and threes came in, I mean, I, I just think that's where, you know, if the Bengals try to pass, then the defense can take it over the top too. And it, it just really worked out there. So, you know, I think that is going to be favorable against the Falcons. Like you said, Michael, their secondary is not great. I mean, overall, the Falcons' defense isn't great. They're 27th in the league in total opponent offense, so that's a bottom five defense. And I think that's where the Bengals will thrive the most. We can get more to that. And I think, too, like, you know, with T. Higgins, he showed some flashes Sunday. And I think he's not just healthier. He seems happier. Like, I mean, I don't just say that, like, figuratively. Like, when I see him in the locker room, like this week, at least he just has a smile on his face. Whereas the last couple of weeks, like you could just tell, like not playing a lot, being limited, uh, it frustrates him. And I think it kind of frustrates the offense. So, you know, uh, a happy T is a healthy T and vice versa. And the same goes with the Bengals offense. But I mean, when I think of Joe Burrow, man, and I think, uh, I think it was Paul Daner from the athletic who coined this term. I'll give him the credit. Joe Burrow is looking a lot more like backyard Burrow, like just, the way he's so elusive, the way he just makes magic happen, whether it's with his legs on that third down touchdown or on those third and shorts where the Bengals are one of the best teams on third down in the league, especially third down and short. I mean, just the way this guy has evolved. Like, I almost think that I, I'm pretty sure his major at Ohio State was like family consumer science. Well, I think he had a secret double major, and I think that's magic. I think he double majored, majored in magic because this guy is just pulling tricks out of his bag. I mean. You, you want to talk about elite, I think we're really seeing more of that elite backyard bro if we haven't seen it already. I think that's kind of why they're they're leaning into the RPOs here. Um, you know, when you talk about those RPOs, it you know, I, I think sometimes people overstate them. Um, I think sometimes people kind of look at it and say like, oh, they're running an RPO when in actuality it's just a play action pass. Um, 
but for they they did run him a handful of times against the Saints, and I think that that could be something that you know is going to be a big part of their offense moving forward. Just because of you know, if you're gonna talk about getting Tyler Boyd involved, and you're gonna talk about taking what the defense gives you, you know, and you're going to talk about running the ball more effectively. I just think that that is a way to kind of do all three with one play call, because if, like I said, they kind of uh, operated exclusively out of the shotgun against the saints. And, and when they played the Baltimore, that was kind of where they found their success running the football. So, you know, to me, I think that those RPOs are, are, I think that that's a, a nice wrinkle for them. Uh, because if Joe Mixon's going to get off the ground running the ball, um, you know, he talked the other day about uh, about Joe Burrow's, you know, his, his athletic ability and, and kind of, you know, the next step in that would be kind of getting Burrow on the move a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying that they're going to run him like they run Lamar or like we're going to see on Sunday with Marcus Mariota, but I, I think kind of moving Burrow around a little bit can make those more effective. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that the kind of like you were talking about, um, you know, with those, with those, with those option plays, I just think it's going to give you a different dynamic that quite frankly, I, you know, I haven't seen them run a ton this year. So, you know, I'm excited to see how that works because you'll wonder if that's going to open up the deep plays because Tyler Boyd is, you know, he's going to be over the middle with those quick slants and eventually you're going to run Higgins and Higgins and chase so much over the middle you're going to set them up for a double move on a regular play action play because those linebackers are frozen. Those safeties are frozen. And I think that that's kind of what's next, the next evolution of this offense. Well, and you mentioned the running. It was funny. Brian Callahan kind of had took the opposite views that sometimes the more impressive plays are the ones you don't try to make. Uh, and that scramble looked more impressive because, you know, he didn't have five uh, runs that ended up in losses. He pointed to a second down in the red zone where Burrow th- threw it away right away. Um, and just kind of moved on to the next play. And that's where he sees the evolution of the game, not sort of uh, in those necessarily those magic moments, which, you know, are important, but in the, the plays you're not making, you're not taking negative plays. Um, and that's where he's sort of seen, um, you know, Joe evolve that he's making uh, smarter decisions uh, with the ball and, and when to run and when not to run. And so, um, you know, it's interesting how coaches view kind of those things that, you know, yes, the scramble is impressive. Yes. I mean, he thought the run, um, the, the touchdown one was the, the more impressive of the two. Um, but the, the plays that you, you know, you don't really kind of think of that are incompletion on, on a second down in the red zone could be just as impressive as, as that, that big scramble, just because it doesn't set you back and you're able to score the next, the next down. Um, and that's where sort of Joe's sort of, uh, improved and matured. And making those better decisions because he's, you know, they've, they've played them consistently throughout the year on just the reads he's making. Um, and they said that was kind of one of his best games as well in that capacity, just how he read kind of the defense. Yeah. And I think what's so unique too is, uh, you talk about that decision making that Callahan reference. I mean, we're only six weeks in. Burroughs rushed for 110 yards on about 27 attempts. And that sounds modest, but like compare that to last year, he had 40 total attempts the whole season. And he had 118 yards. So this is a completely different scenario from what we're seeing. You know, Joe Burrow has always been Joe Burrow, but the way he's moving, the way he's uh, challenging defenses when he has the ball, it all goes back to that question I just asked 10 minutes ago. We know who we are. Joe Burrow knows who he is. He's a backyard passer who can complete over 90% of his passes on third and short. But if he doesn't want to throw it, well, guess what? You got another problem taking off with his legs. So, I am so excited to see that really explode, especially against, again, I 
like I mentioned, the Falcons' defense is not that great. Although, to their defense, they do have the 10th best rushing defense. Part of that is because, obviously, you have playmakers like Grady Jarrett, who I think we'll get to later when we talk about the offensive line. But, you know, when you talk about matchups, although the defense for Atlanta is pretty weak, there's really, like, I've been thinking so much about this because I get flashbacks. Uh, As far as matchups go, Jamar, Chase, A.J. Terrell. I know uh, Terrell has been limited this week in practice, I think mostly due to hamstring issues, but he seems likely, as far as what I've seen, uh, to play Sunday. And if that's the case, he'll go against Chase, who, if people remember, go back almost three years ago, they went toe-to-toe in the national championship game when uh, Terrell played for Clemson and Chase played for LSU. And I think we all know who won that battle. It definitely was not A.J. Terrell. Chase pretty much had a historic day in that game with his record-breaking numbers. And I think Terrell has not forgotten about that. I don't think he's going to forget about that when he sees Chase on Sunday. So I think whether the Falcons play that deep zone coverage they usually do or they go man-to-man, I just I think this is a, a battle that Chase not only wins, I think he honestly makes him look worse than he did three years ago, even though Terrell's one of the better corners um, with his experience. And given the Falcons' defense, I mean, he's not a bad player, but I just think this is Jamar Chase's show. I think the Terrell show is not coming out anytime soon. I think it's still being uh, on a hiatus right now. Well, in defense of, in defense of A.J. Terrell, that LSU offense was probably the best college offense that has ever existed. I mean, it was Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, uh, Terrace Clyde Marshall was really good. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was coming out of the backfield. Uh, they had who? Uh, the they had, it was Burrow, obviously, and then uh, who was the tight end? Um, Thaddeus Moss. Thaddeus Randy Moss. I knew son. it was Randy Moss's kid. I, I couldn't think of his first name. So, like, in defense of AJ Terrell, they had a tall task that day because uh, I'm not sure how much that really matters. But you know, I think right now, what basically what you kind of have to think of if you're if you're the Bengals' offense is you just kind of have to assume that teams are not going to come out of this too high look. You know, teams are not going to come out of this soft zone coverage until you force them out of it, like, consistently. And I mean that in game to game. And then as I think that that's going to kind of go from game to game, from, you know, week to week, I I think it's really going to kind of transfer over. Because, you know, what I mean by that is, okay, look, the Bengals offense looked really, really good, I thought, after the first two drives in New Orleans. Um if they do the same thing against Atlanta, eventually you're going to force teams out of it. If they do the same thing against Cleveland, you're probably going to force them out of it. And eventually you're going to reach a point where teams are just not going to be able to play that. And that's kind of been the goal. That's kind of what we've been talking about here for these last couple of weeks. So I think the Falcons have to start with that. You just have to prevent the big plays, just kind of looking at who is on that Bengals offense. So, I mean, to me, I, this this does feel, though, like a like a game where – if you're going to pick, you know, Jamar Chase to have a 60-yard touchdown that doesn't come on a 10-yard out, like, this feels like the game. Like, this feels like the game where if you're going to throw the bomb, right now is the time. Just because Atlanta allows so many big plays, uh, they're not really adept at, a, you know, at defending those type of chunk plays, and that's kind of what the Bengals are built for. So I think that this could be a really, really good matchup for the Bengals' skill guys. Well, Terrell's not been very good at all this year. He's uh, been right. targeted 39 exactly. times, 39 times uh, allowed 26 receptions. This is all according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, allowed 309 yards, uh, seven touchdowns, I think. What was the – yeah, seven touch, uh, seven touchdowns. Yep. 
um, you know, uh, and a grade of um, 40 or below the last two weeks. He was targeted eight <laughs> times and only uh, 26 snaps before he got injured uh, last week against San Francisco. So he's he's really struggling. Um, and their secondary is just sort of um, been been sort of a disappointment uh, kind of in general. Um, I guess they got a good story in D. Alford, uh, one of the, the kind of the extra corner who, who was a former uh, Canadian football player uh, in, in the Canadian Football League. But um, this, you know, if he has to step in, if Terrell's still um, battling an injury, that's going to be um, you know tough for them because they're they're struggling at at a hundred percent. They've just given up big numbers uh, in the secondary this season, kind of across the board. Oh, absolutely. And I hope Jamar Chase can hear you because I'm sure those numbers are appetizing to him. But kind of the, the paradox to that is a cool stat I saw, or an interesting stat, is that the Falcons have a league-high 40 plays with less than one yard after catch. I don't think that really matters when like you're already giving up plays that are that long where yards after catch doesn't matter. It is interesting, but like with with how many yards they've given up, I don't think Kak really matters. I don't think their opponents really need to worry about that. And I don't think Jamar Chase needs to worry about that. I mean, we all know he can get the yards after catch. He did it with a 60-yard touchdown against New Orleans, but even then, I still think that's where the Falcons get burned. But, you know, uh, kind of a side note, I think there's two – uh, players who could have a good game on defense for Atlanta that the, obviously the Bengals have their eye on. Uh, Rashawn Evans, who's their leading tackler, who, 50-year guy at Alabama. Um, I think his stats speak for himself, but I'm really high on this kid. I'm a little biased because I actually covered him. Troy Anderson, rookie inside linebacker out of Montana State. Uh, for those who don't know, my first ever job was in Montana, of all places, so go figure. But, yeah, he played for Montana State, led them to the FCS title game this year, and – he had a career high in his first start, uh, career high in tackles in his first start uh, against San Francisco last week, which is a big game the Falcons won. I think that's definitely somebody to watch uh, when it comes to stopping Joe Mixon uh, and trying to stuff the run. I don't think they're going to be as successful because I think Mixon's finding his rhythm, but something, or you know, rather someone to keep your eye on. Definitely an intriguing player who, again, I know I'm biased on him, but he to go from that to being a second round pick, I mean, it's pretty impressive. So. Uh, that should be a fun battle to watch uh, on the interior. But, you know, speaking of the interior, man, I-, I tell you what, for three weeks, I think everyone from, like, ESPN to all the pundits were talking about, you know, what is wrong with this Bengals offensive line? Did the Bengals make the right decisions in free agency? You know, whether it was with Lyle Collins or Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, so on and so forth. I mean, that's flipped. The first three games... 15 sacks allowed. We all saw it happen in that Pittsburgh game, which was brutal. It looked more like what Joe Burrow went through in the playoffs. But since then, he's only been sacked five times. This has been a very, very impressive offensive line. I'm not just impressed with the numbers, but, like, think about Jonah Williams, who literally, he said himself, he pops his knee back in against Baltimore, comes back in the game and finishes. And then he has a great game against New Orleans, and I'll tell you what, Lyle Collins, I don't just have to say that he had a great game. I think he told you guys he had a great game, and I can't really repeat what he said because there's profanity laced in, but let's just say that he owned, or at least he says he owned Cameron Jordan, who's still one of the premier defensive ends in the league. I just think, I don't know, guys, I think I'm just as hype as Lyle Collins. I think this Bengals offensive line is finally finding that rhythm that they said they would get entering the preseason. Are we not allowed to say his quote? Are we, uh, even if we're quoting, are we not allowed to repeat that? I don't know. I, I'm more of a politically correct guy, but 
I mean, it's. I guess you could say it if you want. I, yeah. I don't know. So it's he said, you. if you watch the tape, every time I played him, I beat his ass up. That's just the bottom line. It's going to be like that anytime I play him. Uh, and that was one of the, uh, and by the way, sorry for anybody whose ears are offended right now. Uh, but that's what he said. <laughs> so I was merely quoting him. It's not from my mouth. It's from his. Um, you know, that was one of those things where it was th- one of the things that I love about open locker rooms that we d- obviously did not have for a couple of years here was that sometimes you'll just be in a scrum and a guy is never going to say that in front of cameras, in front of anybody big. And all of a sudden you got like four or five people around him and all of a sudden he'll just say something like that. Um, so, I, you know, I think to me, not to make too big of a deal out of this, because I, I, I don't want to do that. But to me, that quote kind of summarized how Lyle Collins is feeling right now. And that is confident because, I mean, I, I, you know, I talked to Frank Pollock today for a, for a story I'm writing and he kind of joked like, Leo Collins has his camp legs under him now. Like he was out for a lot of training camp because of, because of a back injury. He hasn't been practicing a lot because of a back injury. And now that he's a few weeks into this, like he's gotten better as the year has gone on. And it feels like he's kind of improved. Uh, you know, we talked about Cordell Volson, you know, kind of just coming along as a rookie. Like you had three new guys coming in that, uh, that hadn't really played together. And a rookie's coming in, like that was that's a tough ask. Cordell Volson's getting better. Um, Ted Karras, I mean, you can't find enough people to sing his praises uh, in in the Bengals locker room. And and Jonah Williams, uh, you know, Jonah, Jonah Williams, like you said, dislocated his kneecap, comes back in the Baltimore game. And Frank, when we were talking to him today, he said that it, he thought it was his best game. So he joked, you know, okay. I'm going to have to hit you in the knee with a baseball bat before every game. But like he was fantastic. So to me, this, this offensive line is, is getting better. Uh, I think they're, I, I, I genuinely think it was just a communication thing. Like, I think that that is kind of what we're seeing here is that the communication was off. They didn't have enough. Uh, they didn't have enough, you know, reps together during training camp, things like that. Just because guys were hurt, guys were coming in, guys were new. It was a lot moving on or it was a lot moving to get like coming together. It was just hard to do. So um, right now the offensive line is, is, is working pretty well. Um, I think they're also kind of helping them out a little bit by, by getting the ball out quickly. Uh, they're running the ball out of the shotgun, like we mentioned. So they're seeing a little bit lighter boxes. You know, I know early in the year, the run game, God, the run game was terrible, you know, for the first four or five games of the year. And then they kind of found something. And I think those lighter boxes are helping. So, all of it to me, it, it's kind of linked to one another. Like them getting the ball out quicker helps the offensive line. The offensive line helps the run game. The run game helps the you know helps the deep ball because defenses have to respect that a little bit more. There's just so much that plays into this, and the offensive line is obviously a big part of that. And they're and I mean they're really feeling themselves right now. Well, I think one of the things uh, specifically that they like about the offensive line is that the cushion on the inside uh, they're getting so, so much more push uh with the centers and the guards and that's creating uh, a nicer pocket uh for right. joe burrow to kind of step up in that, that that he didn't have that uh in the first couple of games um and and that that's kind of what hurt them and zach taylor said um you know he was confident in this group for, from the get-go i mean he downplayed sort of the panic right right off the bat um and that's true i mean he kept saying to answers about the offensive line like they're gonna get there uh this these are just sort of isolated incidents instances with some of the sacks and 
a lot of these sacks have been, you know, credited to other players, um, you know, you know, running backs or sort of the play breaking down and not the offensive line necessarily. So some of those um, numbers that looked ugly early weren't necessarily all on the offensive line. Um, so I think they thought they were going to get to this point. I mean, remember, they didn't play – uh, really any snaps in the preseason together, you know, even in practice, uh, with Collins sideline, um, and, and guys working back. So, uh, I think this is what you're kind of seeing now. And I think the plan that they have in place for Collins uh, has been important. You know, he, he went about three weeks without practicing at all. Now that they've kind of given him Wednesdays off, uh, I think that's, you've kind of seen the benefits of that, that he's sort of, um, fresher on Sundays, um, a little more in tune with what they're doing since he's actually on the practice field uh, Thursdays and for the walkthroughs on Fridays. Yeah, and the big thing, if I could jump in right there, the big thing that has really kind of helped, I think, is that they've all remained healthy through six games, you know, because it'd be one thing if, you know, if like if Lael Collins was out for, you know, for two weeks with an injury and then, you know, Alex Kappa has to miss a game with an injury, like th- then you're not getting the reps. Like they have, like Mike was saying, they didn't get a lot of reps during training camp or during the preseason. Now they are all getting these reps together, and you're starting to get to the point in the year when when attrition starts to happen on the offensive line. Guys go down. Guys are on injured reserve everywhere. I mean, you just kind of look around the offensive lines around the league. Like Tampa Bay has been absolutely gutted on the line. And, you know, like Mike was talking about with that interior line, that can be big. And that's kind of where they've been hit, and the Bengals have really remained healthy in that regard. So I don't know if you could necessarily credit that to them, you know, because we're considering we're talking about Jonah Williams playing with like a dislocated kneecap and a, I think it was a sprained MCL. So like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's, I mean, obviously that's them taking care of themselves and everything like that, but also like that has really benefited them just time together. And I mean, I think that that's really, really, a, a, a just, I, I really can't overstate how much of a benefit that is as you kind of get into November. Well, I agree with that. I mean, look at the three of us. Like, we just met all together, like, not even a month ago. Hard to believe it's almost been that long. But look at us. We're like three peas in a pod. Like, I think that's just life. I mean, when you're – Michael, you you look kind of uh, shocked by that. I mean, we're not blocking anybody. I'm not really sure the connection. (laughs) Hey, I'm just saying, no. You mean you don't hit Muhammad as soon as you enter the facility? Or you see, like somebody were to attack you, I wouldn't necessarily jump in front. Like, I mean, like, I don't, I don't well, <laughs> gosh, man. Well, so much for my hopes there. Well, never mind. I guess we haven't spent enough time together then. But <laughs> in all seriousness, no. I mean, time builds chemistry. Chemistry builds character, and I think that's. Um, clearly what we're seeing with uh, the Bengals offensive line. I, I think obviously the biggest task for them Sunday will be, you know, uh, Grady Jarrett, you know, if you grade Grady, I still think he's one of the best defensive tackles uh, at his position. Like, I, I mean, I know this was six years ago, but I'll never forget when he had three sacks on Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. And funny enough, uh, it was either last week or the week before he sacks him cleanly and gets a roughing the passer call, which, I know we've talked a lot about that. That conversation's not going anywhere. I don't think and hope uh, there's any roughing the passer calls on him because in his defense, he didn't deserve any of those. But, you know, if what we're saying holds up, if what we're saying really is true, which I think it is, uh, I think he may not have one of his best games of the year uh, who's been having an otherwise uh, good season. So, no, this is definitely a very solid offensive line that come by the bye week, I think will have turned a lot of critics' heads if they haven't turned already 
Uh, but guys, just to kind of wrap up, like I'm just realizing something. So we've been on the road the last two weeks. We were in Nolens, New Orleans, but I say Nolens last week, and Baltimore, Andrew's favorite place. I mean, uh, his last place uh, two weeks ago. I mean, does it feel like forever since we've been at a home game? Like it's been almost three weeks, but it feels longer than that. It's been so long, dude. Oh my god. Like, because the weekend that they played the Dolphins on Thursday night, I remember they moved up Zach Taylor's availability to, like, noon. I went to that, and I went home, and I grabbed a suitcase, and I was in a wedding that weekend. So, like, I was kind of joking with somebody, like, this is the first weekend that I've been in Cincinnati since September 10th. Like, it's really unbelievable. So, like, I'm so excited to, like, not just to have to, like, not to like be at home on a normal quote unquote weekend, but just to like not have to pack up your crap and leave at the air, leave for the airport at four in the morning. Like that's terrible. And I'm glad I don't have to do that this week. No, I agree. I mean, like I just moved here a month ago. Cause again, you guys started before me. I came on a little later because you know, you saved the best for last, but I mean, I just really, there's so much in Cincinnati. I haven't even seen yet. Like, you know, and for those who obviously are listening, I mean, this is a grind. Like, it's a six-day-a-week, sometimes seven-day-a-week grind. Like, man, I want to really just explore downtown Cincinnati, uh, do stuff on the Kentucky side. I actually live on the Kentucky side, and even there, there's, like, so many gems of things to do. I mean, like, if there's something you guys just want to do that you haven't done, what would it be? Because I, I kind of just really want to, like, show the viewers what, what Cincinnati is all about. Like, obviously, we talk about football, but I think we could also talk about fun things and I mean, Cincinnati's a fun city. I came here a lot growing up, and gosh, I'm just now realizing how much there is to do that I haven't done already. I would really like to sleep. That would be just outstanding. Sleep, I think, would be the number one thing I'm looking forward to. Sleep is for the week. No, I'm just kidding. I, w- I would love to sleep, too. Yeah, yeah, week. W-E-E-K. Sleep is for the week. That's true. Okay. Got me there. <laughs> That's this guy, this wise guy, got me there. Man, I'm telling you, though, I mean, I would love to... I don't know if you guys have ever, I mean, this would be way down the road, like not even this week, but have either of you guys ever been to Kings Island? I have not. Have you guys heard of Kings Island? I've heard of it. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, it is the best amusement park in this area. I mean, it's probably not going to open until next spring, but that pops to mind. The competition? You said in the area. Well, I'm talking as far as like, like if you include Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, like uh, kind of that tri-state area. I, I mean, you you have uh, Perfect North, which is like it's sort of like a fake ski resort in Lawrenceburg, which is like the Indiana side of uh, the Cincinnati area. And then if you go to I don't ski, this, I'll die. Yeah, same here. But you'd be surprised; people actually enjoy it. But if you go to Louisville. Uh, there's Six Flags, a.k.a. Kentucky Kingdom. There's Great Great Wolf Lodge also next to Kings Island. I'm telling you, man, there's a lot of hidden gems. But man, I, I'll tell you what, though, and just to, to tie a bow on this, F-O-O-D, food. I like food. I like to think food loves me, although I don't know how the food feels about me, but I love food. And there are some really good spots around Cincinnati that we'll have to talk some more about later in the podcast. But... Before we finally go, ladies and gentlemen, sign up for Cincinnati Football Insider. Like we mentioned, if you really want to do it, which you should want to because you know you need to, go to cleveland.com slash Bengals, click on that blue banner at the top, or just send a text to 
41-47. Tomorrow, the gentlemen and I, or the guys and I, if you want to call it that, I can't even speak today because I'm having so much fun. We're going to talk about predictions, prop bets, and final hot takes on the Bengals-Falcons game. But once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis, and Mike Nisluck, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. See you soon. Take care.